0: I'm Keegan and I'm
1: Madigan and you're listening to your angry Angry neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective.
0: Hey, 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 hi, hi. So, we are recording this. We're doing a double episode. So, we are recording both of our episodes before the holiday on Wednesday in order to get them out for you all. Now, November is Native American Heritage Month. Yes. And um, we, because of all the craziness of the election, I feel like we had been focusing and catering our episodes very much towards stuff that was going on with the election. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the fact that November is not only Native American Heritage Month, but it is also here in the United States, the month that we celebrate Thanksgiving. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask you, Madigan, because I'm sure it's shockingly similar to my own understanding. Um, What was Thanksgiving like? Like in school, how did they talk about Thanksgiving with you, like, in elementary school?
1: Oh, my gosh. I have two really vivid Thanksgiving memories. One of them I think I've talked about on the show before. Another one was when I was in kindergarten where we did the Thanksgiving play. I was one of the Native Americans, which I liked because I wanted to wear the colorful headdress, of course. But mm-hmm, looking back course. now, I'm, like, cringe. But We when were you're, babies. Right. When you're little, I'm like, I want to wear the colorful, like, cool – Thing. And I remember being in that play. We have a, a video recording of it somewhere. Um, but then my big memory was from when I was in second grade. We had uh this it was the Thanksgiving celebration day where you dressed up as pilgrims and the girls learned how to do cross stitch, and oh, the yes. boys learned how to build Step
0: stools. You did tell me. Yeah, there's a
1: few other where it was like a role playing thing of that. And then I remember also doing a role playing thing where half the class played Native Americans and half of the class played pilgrims. But I've got to say, from everything that I remember, it's a very, very condensed, whitewashed, friendly version Mm -hmm. of it. Because, you know, it's a story that we know. And even when I'm reading, what we know of the true story, while the actual event is not that far off from what Mm -hmm. we discuss in school and things like that, the context of before and after is something that is more important than the actual event. And the thing that was the most shocking to me is that the party at the time – was not a monumental thing to either party. It was not memorable. It was not a whatever. It was a three-day party, and that was it. It's it's us that made it a thing. Right. You know? Well, I mean,
0: and to be honest... The thing is, when I was doing prep for this episode, so I'm going to say off the top, I got most of my information from a History.com article, and then I did watch. It was two hours, so I didn't watch the whole thing. But there was a PBS American Experience documentary talking about um, pilgrims. And then so they did cover that entire period kind of before and after uh, Thanksgiving. But uh, most everything you're going to find, of course while they did interview um, some Native American historians, most of the information you are going to find from that time period is from the view of, you know... The colonizer. (laughs) And what's interesting is that there really was
1: only two historical documents that mentioned anything about this event. There was a document from Governor William Bradford, and there was a letter from Edward Winslow, who was one of the passengers on the Mayflower. But really, they took a few sentences from these manuscripts and letters and kind of turned it into this.
2: Well, and I I will
1: say,
0: you know, in doing this research, I will say like, the... The event itself, I understand why people want to cling to this event. Because right. there was this alliance, right, that could be celebrated and in it a way. And it could have been great, too. <laughs> like and, it- and you know what? For a period of time, at least with this specific tribe, it worked. Yeah, You know, between these two. Unfortunately, because of the nature of colonialism,
1: <laughs> yeah. it,
0: it simply was not going to work forever.
1: Because because the colonists had, they had a mission, they had, you know, something, an objective
0: that they had to achieve when they were there. The way that we were taught in school, I feel like, um, was very much kind of reinforced this idea of like manifest destiny almost. Where it was just kind of like, by any means necessary, um, you know, we got along. Everything was great. uh, And then it became a white city because that's what it was supposed to be all along. You know, it's kind of like that vibe.
1: Totally. Let's talk a little bit about the alliance between the Wampanoag tribe well, and can, the
0: colony. Oh, what do you want to do first? Do you mind if I start a little bit earlier? You do anything you want to do, sweetheart. <laughs> okay. So I just wanted to set it up because I wanted to kind of give a little bit of context as far as like why this alliance was important. Yeah. Um, in the first place, because, even though, yes, Thanksgiving is very much framed as this kind of like mutual, isn't it wonderful that aren't we all getting along and isn't this wonderful? I do want to very much highlight that while it was a strategic move um, on behalf of the um, uh, on behalf of the Wampanoag tribe, it was it was a very strategic move. It also was life saving for the pilgrims. And like, I feel like that's not highlighted enough. Well, that's the thing is
1: that they, they talk about a lot in, you know, in school, I feel like it's a lot of this white saviorism, like the Europeans came and like showed, Uh, the Native Americans, how to be civilized and how to be like real people and things like that. They do mention, you know, I feel like in school, the story of the first Thanksgiving of how the Native Americans taught the colonists how
0: to grow crops specific to the area, things Uh, like that. Absolutely. I mean, that stuff is touched upon, but I feel like it's framed as a much more mutual relationship. Um, And there was mutual benefits that were had on either side. Mm -hmm. However... Really, without without the um, Wampanoag tribe, the Pilgrims would not have made it. So they would
1: have been killed.
0: Yeah, the the death rate was extremely high for um, colonists already. For example, by the time the Mayflower made its way over to the shores of what we now call America, Jamestown had been in existence as a colony for nearly 15 years. Um, you know, we always like to say, like, the birthplace of America is when the Mayflower landed on Plymouth Rock. Right. But the truth is, Jamestown had been around for about 15 years at this point. Right. James, and-
1: John Smith had been... He was the one that called it Jamestown, mm-hmm. too, wasn't it? I know he's, he um, it named was, it Plymouth.
0: It, uh, no, he came over uh, into Jamestown with... But it wasn't him who, who named it Jamestown. Because it was named after, like, King James. Or, uh,
1: he named it Plymouth because that was where the Mayflower had come from. So he named Plymouth Rock. That's what I was I thinking I don't of. remember. I read I, that I, To be
0: honest, I, I don't remember. I'm not a history major. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, there was a lot of... Uh, definitely the colonists needed
1: the Native Americans also because while, because they were on this trip, they lost half of their passengers to... Right, well, well...
0: to to emphasize, like, England had pumped in nearly 8,000 colonists to Jamestown, and yet they were struggling to keep the population over 1,000 due to, like, disease, harsh climate, danger of the journey itself. People yeah. died on the journey. And so about 100 people came over on the Mayflower in 1620, um, and they founded this Plymouth colony. But the first winter was so rough that people were getting sick with scurvy, and other diseases. And two or three people were dying every single day. The Mayflower itself had been converted to a hospital for the sick and a hospice for the dying. So like, as you said, by the time spring rolled around, nearly half of the original 100 who came over on the Mayflower had died. And something like 78% of women who had made their way over had died. Women and children. Yeah. It was 78% of women and
1: children had died. So it was mostly dudes. Um, And they were very happy that they had survived this horrible winter and gone through so much. And so that's why they kind of wanted to have this celebration. So the Wampanoag tribe wanted to have peace with the colonists. Um, Particularly because they had a rival, a rival tribe, and I'm going to butcher this so bad, I'm really sorry, but it's the Naragansetts, I'm going to say. That was their rival, and they, the Wampanoag, had actually lost a lot of their population as well due to disease and illness, and they felt very vulnerable as well, especially with this rival tribe coming in and raiding and trying to take over, you know, their land and things like that. So they saw the colonists and their their weaponry. As being something that could be beneficial to them right, as well. Right. Yes. So
0: they sent in um, a young man named Tesquantum. They sent him in. You mean Squanto? Kind of- hmm. It's Squanto. That's the same person. Oh well, I don't know. That's not how they pronounced it in this documentary. That no, I
1: tisqu- no, Tisquantum is. Do you know? You know who Squanto is, right? The Indian, the friendly Indian. They call him. Oh
0: no! You don't know who Squanto is. No. He's like
1: the most famous Native American of
0: all time. You don't know who Squanto I is? Disagree because I don't know.
1: <laughs> no. Next to Well, he met he was friends with Pocahontas at one point, they say. He's like in that whole like world. I totally thought you would know who he is. Sorry I'm like coming at no. you right now, but <laughs> so his full name is Tisquantum, but they called him Squanto. That was his nickname. And he was um part of a tribe that had been um Taken by the Spanish, he was enslaved in Spain, he learned English there, uh, they tried to convert him to Christianity, he flat out refused, they eventually sent him back to what is now the Americas, so he was able to speak English as well as um, find the Wampanoag tribe and kind of latch onto them for his own Right, protection. and
0: his people had lived on the land where the colonists were currently living. So mm-hmm. he basically showed up, he addressed them to English, he welcomed them and he told them that the people who had once resided on that land, his people, had all perished due to a plague and so there was no one there to contest them for that land, essentially. Yeah. They were like, "We, you can have it, it's fine. Um, and they knew that they, it was interesting watching this documentary because they interviewed some um, Wampanoag Historians Uh and they pronounced Wampanoag right, but all the white people said Wampanoag. Oh, my God. Which I was just like, guys, you're on PBS. Do better. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's definitely a few names in here that I'm like worried that I'm going to mispronounce. But I know how to say Wampanoag.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I definitely, I, I I I wrote things phonetically for things that I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to pronounce this correctly. But um, they were, like you said, looking for an ally against neighboring tribes. So then Squanto, I guess we will call him throughout the rest of this, Thank you. left. And he returned six days later with the leader of the Wampanoag. Ampanogs, yes. Which was, and
1: ma- Massasoit? Massasoit? I heard them pronounce it Massoit. Massoit. That makes OK, I didn't watch anything. I just read things. So, so that's right, why, but I mean, I could also be
0: butchering it if we are. Sorry. Yeah. Mas-so-it. But, so they returned with um, with him and 60 others, essentially. And Squanto acted as an interpreter uh, between the Wampanoag people uh, or the Wampanoag people. Wow. See, you just did it. (laughs) I know I did it. It's because I've been listening to stuff all day and the leader of the Plymouth Colony Uh and they essentially worked out this like groundbreaking treaty in which they agreed they would not do harm to one another and that they would come to each other's aid in the event of an attack and they also agreed that Squanto would stay uh, and help them with the planting of crops. Yeah, he 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 stayed with
1: them. For twenty months, which is pretty a long time, impressive, yeah. So that's why I knew who Squanto was. I'm pretty sure Squanto might have actually been a character in one of the school plays that I did when I was younger. Maybe that's you're why probably I right. I mean, I'm sure that it was said
0: to me in school. I'm sure he that was it
1: was the guy. Like he was the one that taught them everything. everything. How, yeah, yes. so he – that's why I knew exactly who he was. But when I was writing down Tisquantinum the whole word, I was like, who's this person? And then finally – because I had both names written down thinking they were different people and then one article finally clarified that for me and I was like, okay, that makes sense. But yeah, he was definitely very beneficial because these two groups were very, very wary of each other. Like, because they both needed their protection from each other but they also – Um, didn't have any real way of having an understanding. And I was doing um, some other reading that wasn't on any like major websites. I don't have my list of resources in front of me here. So I don't remember which exactly I got this from. But I had heard some stories about some of the other Native Americans that would just show up And just like have questions and want to understand. So that was kind of the beginning of that relationship was having Squanto help the two parties understand each other to create some sense of peace in the area without the fear.
0: I mean, they were real allies. Yeah. So while, of course, there are, there's stuff that comes later, which is very problematic. I mean, the whole situation, of course, is problematic. It's like white people coming over being like, this is ours. Right.
1: Well, and it's also you know, white people coming over and saying, this is weird. Like they found in the letter that Edward Winslow wrote uh, where they described the first Thanksgiving. He also writes, they are people without any religion or knowledge of any God, yet very trusty, quick of apprehension, ripe witted. Just, the men and women go naked, only a skin about their middles. So, you know, there is this sense of, um, you know, when hearing him discuss the fact that they are without God, you know, these were Puritans that came from England to what is now the Americas for religious freedom was kind of one of their main reasons, especially for this Winslow guy. So to automatically hear him be so judgmental of their beliefs and also for the way that they look... Uh, Yeah, that's not surprising. Is very telling of what, (laughs) you know, even though there was peace and they were allies, it still shows, you know, what they really thought of
0: them. You know, I don't. Well, and they were completely foreign to one another. I mean, that's something that I think about a lot. You know, I don't. Look, Mel Gibson, highly problematic. I'm not saying to, to go run out and watch this if you haven't seen it. But if you've seen Apocalypto, I always think about the final scene in Apocalypto where like they're looking out and the ships are coming in. The Spanish ships are coming in. And I always think about what must that have been like because you live in your own kind of... World, it's very it's very insular. So to have this ship come in, it's unlike anything you've ever seen. With people who are unlike anything you've ever seen, it had to have felt like an alien invasion in ways. You know what I mean? And that's
1: and that was one of the reasons why there was such a struggle with starting these colonies as well. Like you know, let alone the disease and the fact that they didn't know how to take care of themselves. There was also. The fact that they had to deal with this other group of people that they had no idea how to communicate with and deal with or understand. So the fact that they were finally able to make this work for some period of time was
0: pretty monumental. Right. And even if it was only because, because clearly, I mean, it was mostly only protection. because they needed each other they did but the fact that they were able to even set aside their differences for that amount of time i mean i think that that is part of why people romanticize this notion of thanksgiving so much yeah you know and also <laughs> and also because we in the united states have been able to whitewash it and paint this version of colonialist america that well, is it makes us feel better is less bloodthirsty right because we can point to this one moment, you know, and we yeah. can say, see, it wasn't so bad, Um, completely disregarding the genocide that happened both before and after. Exactly.
1: Well, should we talk about the actual party?
0: Yes, let's do it.
2: Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest
0: cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings
2: for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it.
1: Okay, so the colonists were super psyched. Again, it's mostly it's mostly dudes. All the women and children died, so these guys are all super psyched that they <laughs> they're gonna there have
0: a, like. A, I think they said there were like ten women. Like yeah, it's like that's it, that's and then a, like, that's
1: what I have written down. It was ten women, and it was like I don't remember how many men, but it was quite a bit of so men. so many bros. It yeah. was legit. bros
0: everywhere.
1: And one of I read this in an article where they were like. Who made all the food? There was 10 women there.
0: Like, how did all this food get made? A lot for of the men and, and children. Like yeah. I read, I think I read the same article where it was just like, yeah, a lot. There weren't that many women. So it was mostly the men and children who were who were making food. It was interesting to see also what they ate at the first Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's, um,
1: yeah. It's funny because they the whole thing with turkey, I guess, came up because in one of the documents they found it was written that they had caught a lot of turkeys that year and that they did eat fowl. So they could have eaten a turkey, but it's Possibly. not... There's no way they And they did knowing. eat
0: cranberries because that was new to the land, yes. but it was more of like a um, kind of sour garnish. They weren't, like, there wasn't sugar or anything to, like, sweeten the cranberries the way that we would eat them today. Yeah, you know? it would
1: probably just be a way to, like, season things. So, anyways, these frat bros are so excited that they survived the winter, that they run out with their guns and start firing them in the air because that's what you do when you're super happy, right? So... Well, and they'd managed to get,
0: like, a shit ton of Crops of, um crops. Yeah, you know. yeah they, they were th- super. Thank sized. you, Squanto. They got so many crops that year. Again, like I, I cannot emphasize enough how like without him and without the help of the Native Americans we wouldn't and be that there. and that kind of like allyship that they had, there is no way that they would have prospered the way that they did or you know, been in a place where they wanted to celebrate the harvest that year, you know? Totally, totally. So they went out
1: and shot their guns, which really scared the Wampanoag people. So the sachem or the chief, which is how did you say it? Ma- Masoit? How did you say it?
0: Uh Masoit. Masoit. I think is how they said it. And
1: yeah. 90 other Wampanoag people showed up to defend the place. So just picture this. There's White guys in the woods, this is what I'm imagining, shooting woods off, shooting woods off, shooting guns off. And the Native Americans are freaking out. I would assume they're probably thinking they're under attack. So they're getting ready probably to go to war and running toward whatever this thing is. And then they realize when they show up that it's their buddies. So they don't fight and they bring along food and they party for three days straight, which I right, think is so- kind of crazy. Because if they didn't have that relationship before and they had just shown up... It would have been right.
0: bloodlust. Like, it just would have been right. everywhere. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's no like. How- Uh, accounts differ uh, Mm -hmm. as to, like, how the Native Americans ended up there, (laughs) you know. There's, like, a couple different, like, accounts as, like, why they were there. But what we do know is that once they got there, you know, there was 90 of them. They actually outnumbered the English, more Natives than there were English uh, at this event. But once they got there, they saw that they were having a harvest celebration. So they sent their men out into the forest and they came back with five deer. They butchered five deer to add to to the feast. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as far as like kind of relating it to modern day traditions and how like everyone kind of brings a Bring s- something, something to the table. Yeah. right? Um, that's kind of what they did as well. They brought venison to the table and you know the group also in case you're curious the group also probably ate fish and shellfish. Yeah. There was a lot of like lobster was abundant in the region as mm-hmm. well as fruits and vegetables um, cabbage, Eel. carrots, cucumbers, leeks, lettuce, parsnips, pum- pumpkins um, and also a lot of native plants that they had learned to cook from the Native Americans, such as Jerusalem artichokes, garlic, and cranberries, as well as walnuts and chestnuts.
1: Yeah, and wasn't corn one of them as well, or did they absolutely have corn? Absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, that'd be kind of... I Shellfish is the one that I think is kind of funny. But it makes total it? sense because yeah. of the location that they're in, that they would have mm-hmm. a
2: lot
0: of
1: and fish. And the time of year, yeah, for totally, sure. Totally, totally. But yeah,
0: I mean, this was like a... It was like a three-day rager. So they're yeah. feasting, they're playing games. You know, it's it's described that they are like... They are, they're playing games together. Yeah. You know, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about. Um, that they're, they're having this real moment of like peace where yeah. they're actually like able to kind of like cut loose and enjoy each other for like a second. You know
1: what it kind of reminds me of is like when you go to a party and you don't really know that many people, but you all get drunk enough that by the end of the night you feel like you're each other's family. Yeah, and, like, you're like best besties. friends. Yeah. yeah. And then like after a while, you don't really care about that person anymore because you don't really know who they are or anything like that. To me, it kind of seems like it's almost like that right. drunken party of like, "I love you, no, I love you," and then yeah, after and you're it's just done, so it's happy done. to
0: be alive yeah, because exactly. like the year before everybody was dying. And like <laughs> again, I we're painting a very rosy picture um, of the situation and. It's hard not to because of the information that we have. Right, it does seem like that one brief moment was like an okay moment. Yeah, but I definitely don't want to lead people astray in believing that this was just like no, and all was well. The end. No, because like, it not goes at all it the goes situation. way downhill.
1: Yeah, so I actually was reading some stuff by this woman named Linda Combs, who is a Wampanoag Indian who is a Wampanoag Native American woman herself, and she's also an educator, so she's done a lot of like writing and research about this stuff. And she had a really wonderful thing to say about colonialism that I think made a lot of sense. She says, For many people in this country, the word colonization often seems to slide too glibly off the tongue, and when it is used, the full aspects of its meaning are not recognized. The deeper, dark meanings of the word have been bred out of American history. However, some people still carry associated attitudes and behaviors that go unrecognized for what they actually are. So after this happy, happy time, it obviously did not stay. So after, I'm going to say his name wrong again, Mesoet's death. Yeah, the, I think that's right. I, I, it's easier for me to say the cha, the sachem of the Wampanoag tribe um, passed say away. Say that, Ben. We know what you mean. Yeah. Um, his son, Medicom... Took over, mm-hmm. which I was like, it sounds very futuristic, Metacom. It does. <laughs> uh, who actually renamed himself Philip, and they called him King Philip. So, in 1675, the King Philip slash Metacom War
0: began. Um, like, it was seventy five, I think. 1675. What did I say? Sixty
1: five. Oh, I, I have seventy five written down. I must have just said it wrong. Okay,
0: thank you. <laughs> well, maybe I maybe I misheard you. That's but, totally yeah. fine. So, because,
1: oh sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, unlike his dad, Medicom was not cool with the settlers. He saw exactly what they were doing. He felt like they were being manipulated. Uh, he felt like they weren't uh, keeping their promises with the peace agreement.
0: Uh, well, they, they kind of weren't. They like weren't. that's the thing is, this was like fifty years later. Yeah, and so because the the. The colonists and the Wampanoag tribe did have a good relationship um, to the point where, like, at one point, Masoet was ill. Yeah. And, you know, yes, it was in their best interest to keep him alive because it it was. Like, they needed that alliance. Well, because,
1: look, as soon as he
0: died... (laughs) <laughs> right. But they also had like a good relationship with him. So uh-huh. they sent their doctors and medicine um to him and they actually healed healed him and like their relationship was good for a while. But the further and further you got from that initial alliance, you know, we see it even now with like th- the further you get from those personal relationships, yep. the more it becomes easy to like dehumanize and you have more people coming in from England. And you see who, it for what it is
1: because it's mm-hmm. because when you know somebody I feel like when they do bad things or you know, you know that person you feel like right. you know that they're good people
0: and, well, and so- the colonists were getting more and more greedy they were like getting super greedy for land they were expanding more people were coming so they were trying to take over yeah and so when they re rene- rene- they renegotiated the peace agreement in 1671 and at that point they demanded um that the wampanoags surrender all of their guns yeah And they also ended up hanging two Wampanoag men for murder. And it was murder of another Wampanoag person. Right. So that was was the thing that I
1: was really curious about. So I thought about it for a bit. And it does make sense to me because I would feel very, very frustrated if another government, you know, took control over something that had nothing to do with them. It wasn't
0: their right to do that. This was a murder
1: between... You know, the Wampanoag tribe, it should have been handled between them. Instead, the colonists, uh, and I read it was three men that oh, okay. were hung, two or three. How are we to know? Um, but yeah, they they hung the murderer, which grew tensions further. So even things were getting further. tense.
0: Yeah, which understandable. Like, it just felt like they had this agreement and the colonialists were, and I think that they absolutely were doing this, they were pushing the boundaries. Yeah every chance that they could and what did they expect to happen yeah (laughs) you know and at, at this point
1: too they were quite successful in converting quite a lot of native americans to christianity and they referred to these people as praying indians so when they went in for this war they had about a thousand militia men on the colonist side and they had about 150 praying indians or converted native americans on their side to attack as well and they actually went after wampanoag's rival tribe first again i'm gonna totally butcher this name but it's the N- naragansetts Um, in November of 1675. And during the war, more than 1,000 colonists and 3,000 Natives died, including Medicom, who was executed. And after his death, his wife and child were taken to Bermuda, where they were enslaved for the rest of their lives. And I actually read that Bermuda has a really large population of Native American people because of the mass exodus of That's very
0: interesting. That
1: they, you know, they sent all these people out to Bermuda. But after this, war the Narragansetts, Wampanoags, Podunks and Nipminks were all virtually eliminated and the native population was mm-hmm. reduced by 40 to 80% in that area. Yeah, it's
0: it's ins- it's wild. Now I do want to say that like the Wampanoags um, and the other Native American tribes of that area, although Metacom was the one who staged the re- rebellion, which is uh-huh. why it's called King Philip's War, uh, they did hold their own as far as they destroyed 12 colonial towns during the this- rebellion. Oh, it um, was
1: complete chaos from what I read. Like, ev- mm-hmm. like both sides everywhere was ruined. Like, there, there were really no winners at the end just by the state of the land from what you could see. Right. I
0: mean, they completely destroyed the land, but as far as, like, the people and their culture, I mean... Hundreds of Wampanoags and their allies were publicly hanged or enslaved by the English at the end of it, and like you said, um, the Wampanoags were left effect- effectively landless. So we can have these conversations about this. Oh, one great day that was had, right? And like how it, it, there is something very heartwarming and touching about this. Like, oh, we can set our differences aside and have this allyship. But at the end of the day, it completely fucked them over. It you know, fucked I them mean, over
1: it backfired. And it, yeah, I don't know what I was going to say. It completely backfired. Um, I find it really interesting how Thanksgiving came to be a holiday, uh, particularly because celebrating harvests were things that were very common for Native Americans to do for a very, very long time. This was not, like I said, a new or exciting occurrence to have this kind of party. This was very normal. And also the pilgrims or the colonists had, you know, history within their own, like, religions and cultures of days of giving thanks and celebrating thanks and things like that. So it made sense that those two things went together, but it wasn't until... Edward Winslow's letters were found that they started to kind of brew up this idea of having Thanksgiving be a national holiday. In the mid-19th century, there was a writer by the name of Alexander Young who rediscovered Winslow's letters and made it famous in his 1841 book called The Chronicles of the Pilgrim Fathers. And then there was also a magazine editor, and I didn't write this down in my notes, but I think I can remember everything. There was a magazine editor who had discovered Uh, Governor William Bradford's manuscripts that had been stolen during the Revolutionary War. So she was able to get those back shortly after Alexander Young found Winslow's letters. And that was used to kind of um, push for Thanksgiving to be made a national holiday. At one point, George Washington did uh, name November 26th as a national day of thanks, but it was not an actual national holiday until 1863 when Lincoln gave his proclamation of Thanksgiving and he named every last Thursday of November to be Thanksgiving Day.
0: Right. So uh, from what I saw, I watched a History.com video Mm -hmm. kind of talking about like the progression of Thanksgiving. So there was, they started doing kind of like Thanksgiving across the country, but it wasn't on the same day for every state. So different, it was very like divided, different states kind of celebrated Thanksgiving at a different time.
1: I do, I do recall reading now that somebody had said that the people believed that it should be each individual governor deciding when the holiday should be and not have it be a national thing. We're so
0: individualistic in this, in this country. (laughs) It's it's bananas. (laughs) But there was a woman named Sarah Hale who began a letter-writing campaign to President Lincoln just before the Civil War. That's the one who found the manuscript. Sorry, I didn't use to interrupt, but that
1: was the woman. Okay, got it. I knew who you were talking about, yeah. (laughs) So
0: her name name was Sarah Hale, and she, which I think is interesting that it was a woman, actually. I know. um, She began a letter-writing campaign to President Lincoln just before the Civil War, petitioning to make Thanksgiving a national holiday because she thought it was something that could unite a divided country because we were on the brink of a civil war, right? And so she... She was like, let's just, this is something that we kind of already do as a nation. So let's unite us. Let's have one day a year where we kind of get together and and give thanks. And that is kind of, on the most basic level,
2: That's that is, is kind of
0: what, what Thanksgiving symbolizes for us. But
1: the thing that sucks is that they have to then tie in this story of something that really wasn't Mm -hmm. all that monumental and has way too much of a history and backstory to possibly have it be a one day happy
0: event. You know what Uh, I mean? It doesn't make any Uh, sense. Absolutely. I mean, well, I I get matter, matter, I get more and more angry the more I think about the ways in which my education was whitewashed in favor of colonialism. Right. And even again, you know, I was talking in the mini about how I'm watching the crown even the way they do in address imperialism and colonialism um, and all of that stuff but the ways in which this stuff was romanticized to me as a kid uh, that this it, that it really wasn't that bad completely right. disregarding the massive amounts of bloodshed at the expense of the Native Americans yeah. um, and only highlighting the good parts while I understand that that's it's kind of like the Hallmark movie version that makes you feel good and warm and and fuzzy and we want that um, to completely leave out the rest of it, I think, is doing a massive disservice to an entire culture, an entire community of people. And the thing that's so frustrating
1: to me that is the most noticeable when it comes to our relationship between, you know, I don't know what to call us, but I guess regular Americans with the Native American Americans, like we all are just American people, like we're all just one. And there seems to still be this like, separating and animosity between us that is that just seems like i i what am i trying to say i just feel like because we never really rebanded
0: in any sort of way the holiday just feels icky well the thing is there's nothing we can do. No. I, I mean, and as someone... Look, I don't have... I I, I definitely don't have um, Wampanoag people in my family. I have Native American people in my family, but we are more Southwest um, United States. It's a completely different culture. Yeah. But, I mean, I've spent time on reservations. There is nothing we can do to make up for what we have done yeah. to the Native Americans in this country. Um, so, to be quite honest... If they never want, if they don't feel like sitting down and breaking bread with any one of us and uniting in that way, then that's their right. Because what we did, I mean, and I include myself in this, even though I'm a self-identified, you know, black woman, I am half white. My family actually came over, the white side of my family actually came over in the 1600s to to this country. That's, I've traced it back that far. That's amazing. we are American as far as like that goes. Yeah. We've been here since then. So uh, I definitely have ancestors who have committed these atrocities. Right. And um, there is there is nothing we can do to make up for it. We've, we destroyed cultures.
1: Like they'll never get that back. They'll never. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the only thing that we can do now, I follow a few... Native American, like, fashion pages and things like that that I really love. Uh, We've talked about this in the past, supporting Native American arts and ways, you know, we're both from places where there are very large Native American populations. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually did. That was a field trip that we did a few times when I was younger is that we would go to one of the reservations and have, like, a field trip. Day there, but I was actually oh that just reminds me I was reading an article for this and it was a woman who lives on a reservation and she was talking about these field trips where like the moms or whatever be like you better behave or else we're gonna leave you here and they're gonna cook you for dinner Jesus like it's just such
0: ridiculous bullshit white people crap it's bullshit that it hasn't stopped and so I understand even though it's it's a struggle for me because what Thanksgiving means to me is so different from that at this point, because I think culturally we've moved away from, uh, you know, a lot of the origins of Thanksgiving. Um, And to me, it is more about giving thanks and being with the ones that I love Not this year, of course, but um, that's what it means to me. However, I don't think we can divorce the, the, the day with its origin. I think we have to talk about it Mm -hmm. because I, what we have, I, it fills me with a lot of shame. Yeah. Like what we have done to Native American and it's history very, and culture. It's
1: very normalized too because, you know, when we talk about mass genocides in more recent contexts, like uh, the first one that pops to my head, of course, is the Holocaust. And we talk about the, the mass genocide and the terror and the death. And I feel like everyone, all, all the white people are just kind of over it. In this country, like, it's not really something that is discussed or talked about in a way because of the shame. People want to push it away and not think about it.
0: Well, and because of the way it was taught to us. It wasn't framed even like the Trail of Tears, which we've talked about on this podcast, which was horrifying. Like the way that it was covered in school, maybe one paragraph in a textbook, you know, and it was what we've done to the Native Americans Like, it was so gradual as well. I mean, there were, of course, times when it was literally mass genocide. Yeah. But it was also and is also cultural genocide that we have been committing and continue to commit. Yeah. um, By, you know, forced assimilation. That's it. We committed geno- forcing people to stop speaking their language, their native language, mm-hmm. until those languages died out. We committed cultural genocide. Yeah. That's one like thing. On top of everything else. That's
1: one thing that Linda Combs, the Wampanoag woman that I did some of, uh, read some of her work. That's one thing that she talks about is that it's a slow and steady process. It isn't just this one massive event. Although, you know, we discussed, you know, one event that happened where there were a couple events where there were, you know, lots of people that passed away. And, uh died for the sake of colonization, but really it is a very slow process through
0: time of pushing people aside. You know? Right. I mean, it's easy to look at the Holocaust and say, oh my gosh, that's terrible, because it was six million people who died in a very short time frame yeah. who were being deliberately wiped out. Yeah. Right. And that is, it's horrifying. Yeah. Um, but what happened here in a lot of cases, was a much slower process, gradual over time, with a lot more space Mm -hmm. to rewrite history as to what happened. Well, yeah. Even I've I've had conversations with family members where they will try and justify a lot of this stuff. Well, yeah. Because that's how we were brought up. And that's how people can
1: live with themselves, too. You know what I mean? But
0: this was an interesting episode to do for me, to do the research on, because there is a part of you that wants to... That wants to be especially I think it's also because I watched the PBS documentary and it was very focused on the pilgrims and what they went through and like that stuff is interesting. Um, you know, so there is always a part. Oh, yes. I remember Madigan, what I was gonna say. Up. No, you
1: didn't have to yes. stop what you were saying. I just want to show you that I remembered what I was going to say. Well why don't you forget? <laughs> okay, well, but this is this is what I was gonna say. So the reason that our history is so whitewashed and like this is like a dumb Madigan, we know, but like the reason that we know all of this stuff is because the Native Americans did not have the same, like, tools of writing and storytelling that we did. Like, from what I understand, their history is more verbal and storytelling through time, where the colonists were actually able to record what was going on and write things down. So we didn't have the other side of the story. And that's the thing is that I feel like the other side of the story is trying to be told very, very hard. And I feel like every Thanksgiving, I see these articles where it does talk about the real first Thanksgiving and things like that and discusses the the hardships of the Native American people to this day. But I I feel like it's because they still have to like they're just now trying to get their perspective into the narrative. It's
0: going to take longer because we've had years of the other bullshit. Yeah. I mean, and again, like as a result of genocide, (laughs) like, when you wipe out an entire culture, especially an entire culture that mostly has a um, oral history yeah. that they pass down, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, Keegan? You, yes, exactly. In the in the words of Hamilton, but you you do you lose that you lose that. That's part of why it's so devastating. Yeah, you know, is because we don't get to have the other half of it, um, and. those are the people who write the history books that's why it's so important um and it is again what i was gonna say is like i understand that these are conversations that can be difficult to have because you want to be able to look at that one day and that alliance and say like that was such a great thing um just have that and i feel like it's very much it mirrors kind of what we have today um of course on a much less extreme scale but this this want, especially right now, to be able to reach across the aisle and have unity and have peace. Uh Um, But unfortunately, even now, even though that's something that we all want, we hear Joe Biden talking about reaching across the aisle aisle and having unity and having peace, um, it can come at a cost. Yeah. Right? Like, And so it's something that you have to think about and just be aware of, Uh (laughs) you know?
1: Definitely. Um,
0: yeah. So whatever Thanksgiving means to you, that's just something to to think about. Yeah. And I,
1: well, and I always love learning these new things. I'm not a nanny anymore, so I can't teach tea, all the fun things that I like to learn during the show. Um, But I love to be able to have a bit of the other side. So when you know, maybe next year, if I'm sitting around the Thanksgiving table, if any of this is brought up, I'll actually know what I'm talking about. And just having more and more people, especially people who are not Native Americans want to tell this story and be vocal about it. Because like you said, there's nothing that we can do. We did something horrible and wiped out an entire culture. But the best thing that we can do is to commemorate what happened in the best, most accurate way that we possibly can so that the next generation doesn't grow up having the same beliefs that we did.
0: Right. You know, I would not again, hopefully not this year. I hope we're not gathering in big groups for Thanksgiving this year. But the next time we are together sitting around the Thanksgiving table, I do hope that you take this story with you. Um, I'm not saying don't don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Right. I'm not saying that. Uh, But I am saying if we are going to gather in a holiday that began this way, we should make an effort when we're sitting around the Thanksgiving table to educate the people around us about about the first Thanksgiving. Exactly. Um, You know, I think it's important. And I wanted to kind of... I don't know if we're closing, but I did want to kind of get this quote in before the end because it kind of wraps up or summarizes in a much smarter way um, than I could (laughs) kind of everything that we were talking about. This is um, from David Silverman, who's an author, uh, and he wrote a book called This Land is Their Land, The Wampanoag Indians, Plymouth County, and the Troubled History of Thanksgiving. Uh, And he said, quote, The myth is that friendly Indians, unidentified by tribes, welcomed the pilgrims to America, teach them how to live in this new place, sit down to dinner with them, and then disappear. They hand off America to white people so they can create a great nation dedicated to liberty, opportunity, and Christianity for the rest of the world to profit. That's the story. It's about Native people conceding to colonialism. It's bloodless and in many ways an extension of the ideology of Manifest Destiny." And that's really what it is. It's like, yeah. we, and then that's how it was taught to us. It's like the native, it was like the passing of the torch. They came in, they were like, here you go. Here are the keys to the, to America and we're out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, that's not at all how it happened. Yeah. So definitely.
1: Well, I'm glad that I got a bit more of an education. I hope that our listeners got a bit more of an education for our listeners. If we have any native American listeners, I have no idea if we do. It would be awesome. If there's anything that we got wrong or missed out, if there's anything that you want to add, that you want to say, that you want to rant and rave and be angry about, go ahead and message us because any more information and education that I can get on this kind of stuff – would be incredibly beneficial to me personally. I would love to know more. So please go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com if you want to send us anything. You can also follow and direct message us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and you can also chat with the other listeners in the group page. We have a Twitter that we sometimes use at Yamp Podcast. Y A N F podcast we oh you can also rate and review us on apple podcasts we appreciate that so so much and you will be featured on instagram for our reviews day tuesday and last but not least if you don't already go ahead and listen to us on that radio public app it is a free way for you to listen and it helps us just a teeny tiny bit Alright, we hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving if you're celebrating, and if not, we hope that you just had a wonderful Thursday, anyways. With all of that being said, we encourage you to, to rage on. on.
0: Bye.
2: Sometimes investigative podcasts tell stories that seem almost too weird to be true. So just how wild can a fiction podcast following that same format get? You can find out on Conference Call, a Paradiso Media production presented by Realm. Conference Call follows journalist Charlotte Dunn as she uncovers the story of two entrepreneurs, the Toad Bros. Pieced together from the hilariously cringeworthy phone calls within their company, Charlotte details the incompetence, fraud, and betrayal of this eccentric pair and their unwitting partner who was just looking for her big break in Silicon Valley. Starring Elizabeth Henstridge, Jeff Ward, Gregory Steeves, and Emma Roberts, and featuring guests like Karen Gillan, Beck Bennett, Dimi DiGiwebe, and many more, Conference Call blends the workplace weirdness of The Office with the cadence of a true crime podcast. Be sure to listen and subscribe to Conference Call wherever you get your podcasts or learn more at realm.fm.